0: You can take your Bibles this morning, open them once again to the book of James, to the fifth chapter of this great letter from our Lord's brother. James chapter 5, our study today, builds directly off what we saw last week in James 5, 7 through 9. Maybe you remember that. That's where James calls his hurting Suffering brothers and sisters to be patient and to keep waiting until the coming of the Lord. Until that day when Jesus comes to make all things new. You can see that in James 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, if you were here a week ago or had a chance to listen to that sermon, you can probably remember how James then points us to an example of what waiting patiently looks like. Do you remember who he points you to? It's also in verse 7. Look at what he says. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Is at hand. Now, what does it look like to wait patiently for the return of the Lord? He says, just look at the farmer. They work, they plow, they tend, but in the end, every farmer has to learn how to wait. Wait for God to act. We do too. We have to learn how to wait. But we're not just waiting for the rains to fall or for the fruit to grow, we're waiting for an event. We're waiting for the arrival of the king. A farmer waits for God to send the rain. We wait for God to send the sun. Our text today builds on what we looked at last week. Just like James pointed to, the farmer in the text is going to point us to two other examples in the text today. Look at verse 10. Short text again today. James 5, verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who endured. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So there are the two examples, right? Who are they? Verse 10, it says, look at the prophets. Verse 11, he points us to Job. let take another look. At those men think about their lives. And so for a while, that's what I want to do. Uh, I want us to just do that. I want us to, to look at them and to think about their lives. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, he says, first, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, now James doesn't give the name of any specific prophet. But who are some of the ones that come to your mind? You got some that come to your mind? What do you think? Peter, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah. I think especially Old Testament prophets because these are Jewish readers. As soon as he says, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, they're going to be thinking, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, you know, all, all, all of these people, right? As, and as you, as you look at the text, I want you to think of what he says. He says, take these people as an example An example of what exactly? Of suffering and patience. Now it's interesting if you think about this, he already pointed us to the farmer. The farmer was an example of patience too, right? That was like the main thing about the farmer. Look look how the farmer waits patiently. But the prophets are an example not just of patience, but of patience and suffering. Look at the prophets. And I want you to see also how he describes what the prophets did. The prophets were those who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, as you read the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Daniel, Micah, so forth, this is a really good description to keep in mind. I mean, what did the prophets do? They delivered God's words to God's people with the authority of God. Like, that's what the prophet, they were God's spokesmen. Whether it was Samuel or Elijah, Amos or Malachi, they spoke God's words to God's people with God's authority. As James says, they spoke in the name of the Lord. Which is to say, they spoke what the Lord wanted them to speak with the full authority of the Lord behind all that they spoke. But do you know what they earned for doing that? What did they get in return for doing that. Most of the time, what'd they get? Popularity, money, praise, lots of Twitter followers. What'd they get? Suffering. Why? Why? I mean, why did they get so much suffering? Almost all of which came from their own people. Very rarely do the prophets suffer at the hands of foreigners. They suffer at the hands of their own people. Why? It's because the prophets preached about whatever the Lord wanted them to talk about. Some of those things were popular, like the promises of God to restore the people one day. But most of what they said wasn't popular, and they said it anyway. They were constantly calling their own people to repentance, From what? From their sexual immorality, from their idolatry, from their oppression of the widows and the orphans, from their greed, and much more. And what was the result of doing the right thing? Rejection and suffering. And yet, do you know what the prophets didn't do? They did not stop speaking. They patiently kept doing the will of God. And I'm not saying they never struggled, doubted, or even ran away from their calling for a time. But the story of the prophets is that they kept on speaking in spite of massive rejection and intense suffering. And so so think of it. James says to his brothers and sisters who are suffering unjustly, remember the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Take them As an example of suffering and patience in the midst of suffering. And just as a final point on the the prophets for now, how long did they endure? How patient were they? Many of them suffered all the way to death. Now, the Bible itself rarely tells us how specific prophets died. Jewish tradition tells all kinds of stories of the death of these famous prophets. The Bible itself doesn't tell us the specifics of how they died. But we know from the Bible that many, many of them were killed for what they did. I mean, think of some of the things that we see in the New Testament about the Old Testament prophets. Jesus himself says when he's talking about Jerusalem, maybe you've heard this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Think of Stephen and what he preached right before he was stoned to death. He said, Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Paul says this of his own people in 1 Thessalonians. They killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. You want to know what suffering and patience looks like? James says, Remember the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. But that's not the only example that he looks at in the text. He's got one more. Look at the middle of verse 11. He says, And you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Earlier today we read, the first chapter of Job, a powerful chapter, which introduced us to both the suffering and the steadfastness of Job. Job lived a long, long time ago, maybe back even kind of like contemporary-ish with Abraham. Uh, We're not sure. He was a righteous, God-fearing man who lost virtually everything he had, livestock, possessions, family, eventually even his health, and none of it, none of it was due to to any wrong that he did. I've wondered this week how the story of Job might have resonated with James's readers, many of whom had been forced to give up their land, their possessions, their homes, perhaps even their family, and none of it for anything wrong that they had done. James says, Remember what you've heard about the steadfastness of Job. Now, if you go back and you read the whole book of Job, it's not like Job doesn't struggle in the book. Phil mentioned this even earlier today. Job struggles. He's not perfect, but he suffers well. He doesn't give up. He does not ultimately turn on God, even when what happens? Even when he's lost everything and his own wife comes to him and urges him to just curse God and die. Job never does it. He still perseveres. James says, look at the prophets, remember the steadfastness of Job. Now, that's, that's what we've done so far. We've just, we've just looked at them. We've just remembered them. But there's something else in the text that I think James wants us to see that I haven't emphasized yet from the text. I want you to look back at verse 11 and look at the beginning. He says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Now let me me ask you, when we look back at the prophets and Job, now that we know the end of the stories, what do we think about them? What do we think now after the fact now that we can see the bigger story, what do we think about them? We think, what failures, right? <laughs> look at how they wasted their lives. I mean, look at what happened to them. I bet they all wish they would have done something different with their lives. Is that what you think? I mean, is that what James's readers would think? Not at all. What do we think when we look back at the many prophets who suffered and yet just kept going, kept preaching, kept clinging to a hope that they never got to see fulfilled in their day? We look back at them and we consider them blessed. Why? Why do we see that about them? It's because we can see now after the fact how God used them how God was always for them, how God was never against any of them, even on their worst days. And it's because we know that what they're experiencing now in the presence of the God they served is not even worth comparing with the suffering they experienced in this life. You see, now, after the fact, when we look back, We consider them blessed who endured. But here's the thing in the middle of their lives, in the middle of their suffering, do you think they could see it? Do you think Isaiah considered himself blessed? Do you think Job felt blessed? Do you think that's how they would have described their lives? Massive rejection, intense suffering, very little if any fruit. I mean, you take Isaiah; he was told before he ever started as a prophet, there's not going to be like any fruit from what you do. And I want you to do it anyway. Speak how long, Lord, until their ears are dull, till they. Do you think he thought of himself? As blessed. The truth is that Job and many of the prophets struggled to see what God was doing, where he was leading, why he was allowing such bad things to happen to them, or how God's character could even fit with the things they were experiencing for him. But we look at them now, after the fact, and what do we think? We think, you all made the right choice. We consider them blessed who endured. But again, why do we say it? It's because we have a vantage point that is better than theirs was. More like God's always is. We can see the bigger picture now about them. But in the middle of their suffering, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they couldn't see what we see. They couldn't see the whole story, the outcome of their suffering. In fact, with Job in particular, we're never even told if Job was ever let in on the reasons for his suffering. In the suffering, he certainly didn't know what we know. And we're never told if he's ever told. So he struggles deeply because the things that were happening to him in his life didn't make any sense. But for us, we can see things better than Job did because we can see the whole story. As James says in verse 11, we can see the purpose of the Lord in it all. We can realize easily from our position, God wasn't against Job. God was never against him. God was always for him. He always cared about him. God's purpose for Job were good. And we can even see at the end of the book that God blessed Job on the other side of the testing. Because as James says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But don't you see it? That's the problem, isn't it? we don't get to look at our own lives after the fact. We can't see now the whole story of our lives. We can't see the end, the result, the outcome of our suffering. Like them, God doesn't show us everything up front. Instead, he wants us, like them, to trust him, to hold on to our hope, to remember his promises, and to keep pressing on. And that's really hard to do. And that's the very same position James's readers were in. Suffering, struggling, fighting hard just to hang on to hope, to keep pressing on in faith. And James knows it, and that's why he wants them to remember those who've already run this race before. Why? It's because their stories are a means of God's grace to them, to those still running. The stories of those who've gone before us are God's grace to those who still need to run. And then just as we saw last week, James adds one more command about how we talk, about what not to do. Look at it. Remember back in verse 9, he says, don't grumble against each other. Now verse 12, one more command about what not to do. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. One more time, James comes back to how believers talk. And this time he says, don't swear or take oaths, which is to say, don't try to confirm the truthfulness of what you're saying with oaths. Rather, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. So he says, for example, don't swear by heaven or by earth. He's not talking like don't use expletives, although that's not good to do uh, either. But he's saying don't swear by heaven or by earth that something is true. In, in our day, we might hear someone say, I swear to God that this happened, or I swear on so-and-so's grave that this is true. Like Jesus said, James says to his brothers and sisters, don't do that. Now, a quick clarification. Is the point of this text is not to prohibit like taking an oath in a courtroom or to prohibit signing your name on a legal contract. Part of the reason we know that is that Paul takes oaths from time to time. More than that, God himself takes a few oaths in the Bible. What James is saying is the same thing Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' people don't go around making oaths to confirm they're telling the truth. They always tell the truth. Our yes means yes, our no means no. The focus of this is on honesty. It's about being a person of integrity someone who keeps your word, even when it's hard to do so. James says, don't abandon your integrity. Why? He points this one more time to the future. So you won't fall under condemnation. The judge is standing at the door. We're all going to give an account to Jesus for what we do and for all that we say and for whether we're honest with what we say. So he says, above all, brothers and sisters, don't abandon your integrity. Now, this is is the text for this week. Our, Our text the last two weeks has been really simple in what it's calling us to do. Last week, hold on to your hope. Hold on to each other. Jesus is on the way. Today, remember those who've already run the race before you and hold on to your integrity. Jesus is on the way. Now, I'm sure a lot more could be said about the things we've been seeing in the text But I want to leave us today with one major encouragement. And that is to remember those who've already run the race that we're running. And to take heart from their stories. The stories of the men and women of God who've come before us and have endured to the very end for Jesus are God's grace to us. I mean, after all, isn't that the very reason James points his hurting brothers and sisters to them? He's doing that because he knows that the stories of the prophets and Job, of them suffering well and enduring, encourage us to not give up and to not lose heart. And so along these lines, I want to encourage you, first of all, To read your Bible. To read about the prophets. I imagine very few of us like reading the prophets in comparison with other parts of the Bible. Read their lives. The prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Read Job. In the New Testament, read Acts especially. Now this isn't to say that the Bible is simply a book of heroes that we're supposed to be like. There's only one real hero in the Bible. Only one who never sinned, and that's Jesus. But the Bible is a book that tells real stories of real people, people with passions, failures, struggles like ours. And many, many of them endured. Not perfectly, But they endured. They kept believing. They kept holding on to their hope. And those stories need to become our stories. The stories we enter, the stories we love to tell, the stories we tell our kids and our grandkids. Those men and women are our brothers and sisters. And their stories are God's grace to us who still are running. Along these lines, I'd encourage you to think about the value of biographies of Christians who've gone before us. Have you ever read of Corey Tenboom? Of William Carey? Of J.I. Packer, who died just a couple days ago? Of John Payton, who our son Payton is named after? If you've never read or listened to their stories... I'd encourage you to think about starting. You won't find perfect people in those stories, but you'll find men and women of God who in spite of their fears and failures kept pressing forward in faith in Jesus. Read about them. Talk of those stories with each other. Tell them to your children and your grandchildren. Those are a means of God's grace to us. But then I would, I would, I would add, never stop with those people. What I mean is don't look at those stories only for them or as if they are the end of the story. As you look at the prophets, for example, don't stop with them. Let them lead you to what they were looking for. Let them lead you to who they were looking for, to what they were hoping for, As you look at Stephen, or Paul, or Peter, don't ever stop with them. Let them all lead you to Jesus, the one they endured for, the one they were waiting for, the one who saved them and made them what they were, the one who gave them strength not to give up. I think Jesus is what Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Ruth, Job, and all the prophets Jesus is what they were all waiting for. He's what they were all looking for. Let their stories all lead you to Jesus. That's what they would want. And I think this is exactly what the author of Hebrews was trying to do in the New Testament reading we read today. And I want to end by using his words again in light of the book of James. Think of what the author of Hebrews says Hebrews chapter 11, at the end, when he says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, remained strong out of weakness. Some of them were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, which is what tradition says about Isaiah. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute afflicted mistreated think of this description of whom the world was not worthy and then what does but what's the point that the author of hebrews says therefore since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking like they did, to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated today at the right hand of God. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you don't give up, so you don't grow weary or faint-hearted. This is a good message for us today, one I have not thought a lot about, about the gift it is to us to know the stories of those who've already finished the race and of the help we find in our race that is still before us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, what, for this word that we needed today to encourage us to keep running with endurance, patience, and integrity. I pray that you would strengthen us for what's before us We know that we don't know what's ahead, but you do. You can see the whole story of our lives. You have good purposes. You're compassionate and merciful. I pray you would strengthen us today to keep trusting you and to keep looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith.